0: Listener note, this podcast may contain, and by may, we mean it does contain, adult content and explicit language. Things that some people don't want their kids to hear, although they probably should be hearing it.
1: Hi, this is Jenny, and
0: I'm Elizabeth, and this is Whisker Biscuits and Gravy. Our second episode, Jenny. What are we talking about today?
1: All right. So today we're going to be talking about gynecologists and mostly your yearly women exam. Um, but first, I want to talk about something that's been in the news recently. Um, it seems like there's always some something new in the news that has to do with women's reproductive health, and most of the time, it's not, in my opinion, good news.
0: No, usually, as we were discussing before, it's decided on by people who don't have vaginas, um, making those decisions.
1: Yeah, so, side note, it's really important for you to vote. But anyway, so today I wanted to start by talking about this gag rule that has been um, put in place or has been talked about. So it was submitted last week and it would bar clinics or programs that receive federal family funding plan or planning funds from providing abortions or even referring women to places that do. Um, they call this a, quote, bright line of separation. So obviously that would take direct aim at Planned Parenthood, but also other organizations like it. Um, so basically it doesn't go as far as the 1988 gag rule that prohibited, you know, people even mentioning abortion. But it does make it so that abortion couldn't be discussed unless the patient brings it up or unless that patient has already made up her mind to get an abortion. Um, so it really does just you know attack Planned Parenthood and other places like that. Um, but you know, it's abortions are important, sometimes medical surgeries or medical procedures, and we shouldn't be you know keeping. People keeping that knowledge from people. And besides that, that's, that's such a small part of what these clinics do. Indeed.
0: Uh, Jenny and I have both used Planned Parenthood as our gynecologists. Uh, for me, before um, Obamacare, I had lost my insurance, and I didn't have a primary care provider. So when I went to Planned Parenthood, they were my everything. They were my gynecologist. They did my yearly physicals. And for a lot of women across the country, this is the only provider that they have for these things. Not just that. It's a service that is provided then to them for free. And we just can't really afford to get rid of those kinds of things in this country, especially with as bad as our healthcare system is.
1: Yeah, it is really just you know, Planned Parenthood and other places like that, abortion is such a small part of what they do that it's just you're basically at this point just attacking a healthcare provider and more so a healthcare provider for low income or people who don't have means to other types of health care. Um but so, so today we're going to be talking about, um, gynecology and specifically like your yearly exam, what you might expect from that, um, what happens at one. So I'm gonna go on to a little bit of the history, and it's a, not a great history, as with many things, um, but sort of especially since it involves women. So, basically, gynecology broken down is just the study of medic- medicine that involves diseases or functions of women's reproductive system. Um, the study was seen as far back as the Greco-Roman era. It was probably around earlier. Um, in 1566, Caspar Wolff of Zurich wrote um, an encyclopedia of gynecology. And around the mid-19th century, we started getting into surgery, um, but a lot of doctors who were into this or who were studying this got a lot of pushback because, you know, it's female genitalia, so it was seen as immoral, and we should cover that up and not think about it, as with everything.
0: Well, those parts down there, they are terrifying. Wasn't there, like, a whole movie based on a vagina with teeth?
1: Yes, there was, and they also resemble a shark brain, so you know we're dangerous. That's true. Um, but, you know, the medical field was generally seen as, like, a thing by the, by 1880, um, and it was joined with the study of obstetrics, which is pregnancy, that's another episode. Um, so there's two things that I want to talk about when I was doing research, and the first is a book that was published in 1896, it's entitled Modern Gynecology, and it was written by Charles Bushong. um, there was a lot to unpack here. Just briefly before I get into what he wrote about, it was very strange to look through this text. Like I know it was written in the 1890s, but it was still really frustrating to read this book that's about women's genitalia and women's health, women's health, and then still have the author write things that are, you know, saying the doctor should refer- should be careful not to offend woman's sensibilities. And so it was just. really frustrating
0: (laughs) we are very sensitive you know (laughs) (laughs) delicate flowers are so so all the soaps that i buy would tell me
1: um so one thing that this book did was it outlined it started by outlining what might happen in an exam at this time period now this this book mostly focused on um diseases it wasn't really about like necessarily a yearly exam but it did outline what might happen with an exam. I couldn't find any information about when yearly exams started becoming um, necessary or started becoming something that people did every year. At this time it was really just you know you went to a gynecologist if there was something wrong or if you were married and having children. Um, so he said that the patient should start with an oral history. Again this was one of those weird parts where it was like he would complain about rambling patients and he seemed to um, say that you should guide the patient because they might give you an obtuse history of their gynecological past life, um, you know, he would have these sort of similar common questions that we have now, your age, your marital status, the age of your first period, you know, do you have a normal flow, any pain, how long does this last, anything, anything like that, um, he did say that when you're asking about disease, you shouldn't trust the patient, quote, the physician must learn by her description of the symptoms and not by her simple statement, as women frequently have erroneous notions in this respect, end quote. So I don't know why he bothers with the oral history. Well, <laughs> I've,
0: I've got nothing like I, I'm just usually dumbfounded when I have to listen to men talk about right women's reproductive right
1: and of course words. none of these books were written by women at this time um it did say underage women or single women should always be accompanied by her mother or some married woman you know just anyone off the street as long as they're married that's fine um and the gynecologist and the bar yes. those are the no. two best places to be accompanied <laughs> um And most of the time, he wrote that at this time, if he was seeing an underage or a single woman, it was really because they had some sort of abnormality. They didn't really go if they didn't have any issues. Um, He went into great length about the examination table for the physical exam. He said it should be four feet long, two and a half feet high, 27 inches wide with iron stirrups covered with padding and leather, which sounds a lot nicer than some of the exams I've had on, like, just a plain metal table, it might be nice to have some leather and paddings. Um, the weirdest thing to me was, like, he said that a sheet should cover the patient at all times, and it was, like, literally, there was an illustration that showed a sheet covering everything, like, legs wrapped up, everything except for the examination area. It was, like, this weird curtain.
0: <laughs> I know it's cold in those exam rooms, but that just seems unnecessary.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's already seeing, like, the the important part that most people want to cover, so... I don't think your legs are going to offend him. Um, he described three positions, the dorsal position, which is the one you're probably familiar with, lying down with your legs apart, um, you know, your heels by your butt or in stirrups. There's the sins position, which is where you're laying on your side and your chin is, or your knees are up by your chin. It's kind of like the fetal position. Um, he said that the organs in this position are, quote, more difficult to reach, <laughs> but uh, somehow it's better for vaginal operations. I don't know how, I'm not a gynecologist, but that seems weird. Um, the last position was the genu-pectoral position, which is basically the best way to describe it is butt up, head down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, quote, he said that this is convenient when it is desired to pack the vagina very tightly with tampons, which, why? Just, why? One <laughs> one will do you. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, I'm done.
1: That that sounds painful. Um he described an external exam which is, you know, just basically looking for any type of abnormalities or parasites, you know, the usual He basically in not so many he basically <laughs> wrote in more words, you'll know if something is wrong. Uh and then he went into a digital exam which also made me kind of irritated as a woman because it really made me realize that, you know, in over a hundred years, not much has changed about this exam. He went into a lot of detail about, you know, hand, like, basically, they it's basically just hands, feeling around in there with your hands. And uh, there were some illustrations, and one of them looked like a finger gun, so that was kind of funny from this perspective a hundred years later. Ooh,
0: yeah, that this, this
1: <laughs> seems also, like,
0: reminiscent of some really bad gynecological visits that I've been to.
1: Yeah. It, <laughs> I don't think uh, the the one, my lady doctor has ever just done like finger guns and just gone to town.
0: I did have one that <clears throat> would shake my hand like after every visit, which you know one would think that that's a very normal thing to do, <laughs> uh, but he he'd be like you know, I just want to think of every patient that I have as my mother, mm-hmm. my sister, my daughter, just someone that I want to care for. I'm like,
1: just
0: check out the business, no. please. I'm, he was a-, a really, he was actually a really
1: great gynecologist. That, <laughs> just, that wording is just so strange. It's like, I want to, I don't know. It just makes yeah. me think like, I want to think about yeah. my daughter or my mother while I'm examining yeah. your vagina, which is just strange.
0: If you can move past it, he was a really great gynecologist. I could not <laughs> move past it.
1: Um. So basically it's, you know, everything was almost entirely manual with hands. Um, the only thing that was, like, the major difference, I would say there was two major differences when I was looking through this textbook from what I've experienced and what he was describing. And one was that single woman would not be examined unless the symptoms are urgent. Um, literally, it said he could cure them without an exam unless it was, like, something dire. <laughs> um And uh the other thing was the various types of speculums Some of them looked really painful One looked like this really wide W Which is like, I don't want to know how that fits in Or opens up your vagina I don't want to know um, And the other one was like this belt That was worn by a woman And I think it was for surgical purposes So it was like when the woman was lying on her side one of those positions It was like a belt that had a speculum at the end of it I don't want to wear that. Um, okay, so the last thing I want to talk about before we get into sort of what you can expect today is the father of modern gynecology, J. Marion Sims, who was an American surgeon operating um, in the mid-1800s, the main years were that he was doing things that we still use today sort of were 1845 to 1849, and that's when he was um, creating a surgical technique for a vaginal fistula, which is a result of obstructive childbirth, and it is right now number one on my list for why I don't want to get pregnant and have children. <laughs> Basically what happens is the fistula occurs when the woman's bladder, cervix, and vagina become trapped between the fetal skull and the woman's pelvis, Jesus, which cuts off blood flow and leads to tissue death. Then, if that's not bad enough, the necrotic tissue falls off, which leaves a hole that urine leaks out of. Oh god! <laughs> so you know, fun times. That's
0: <laughs> so. That, that's, just add that to the list of like fears that I have about like of diseases <laughs> for my body.
1: Um, it's like I said, it's at the top of uh, my list for why I don't want to have children.
0: Yeah, I just can't. This.
1: I know it's probably, you know, like, obviously now because of J. Marion Sims, we have some basis for surgical techniques to fix it. Uh, But no, that doesn't sound like a fun time to me. Um, So basically, the problem with with J. Marion Sims, he did give us um, a surgical technique that we still use today, but as with a lot of things in history... It came on the backs of people who are powerless. So mm-hmm. the way that he developed this was he operated on slaves. They weren't his slaves, but he wasn't, they weren't given anesthesia when he was doing these surgeries. Um, so some critics, um, or some people who are sort of supporting him say that anesthesia wasn't really a thing or wasn't used widely. It wasn't accepted when he was doing this. Um, and he said that he was unaware of ether which became available in 1842 so about three years before he started doing these surgeries um and so he was operating on slaves in a homemade backyard hospital which is even worse seems legit yeah let's just do surgeries in our backyard um so there was there's all this this terrible stuff coalescing there was the belief that black people felt less pain he did give them opium afterwards, so I guess that's something, but not really.
0: I feel like right now you're actually describing the plot of several horror stories. Someone yeah. doing surgery in their black in their backyard on people that did not want it, that it they a, had no power. The
1: human centipede. Well, somebody <laughs> some some defendants of him said that he was using appropriate measures of the time and that the women did consent, but yeah, sure, Jan. Okay, sure. Um. So. He invited oh. students and doctors to watch. Oh. That's my dog Reese, probably in the recording barking. He's oh. very horrified by this. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, so he performed 13 surgeries on a single woman
0: <laughs>
1: without anesthesia. Oh. Um. He got other enslaved women who were recovering to help him because doctors and students no longer wanted to assist him in these surgeries. Um, and to prove just how, you know, badass these women were, once he figured out the procedure, white women came to him, but they couldn't stand the pain from these surgeries. Mm. So they bowed out. Um, yeah, and then the last thing, so that's the, the horrible truth of how we can uh, correct fistulas today. Oh,
0: gross. Well, like and on, like, to slightly deviate, on the conversation of consent, the people seem to be like under some like weird assumption that people who are enslaved or enslaved people had some sort of autonomy over their bodies or over anything that they did. Like when I went to, uh, to Monticello, Monticello, Monticello. I don't remember. My fiance always makes fun of me the way that I pronounce it. It's the episode of mispronunciations. Just get ready. (laughs) Ah, the Sally. Oh, what is her name? The enslaved woman that uh,
1: oh, wow.
0: Thomas Jefferson had several children with, and a lot of people seem to want to have this be like a beautiful love story that Thomas Jefferson had lost his wife many years ago when he found a new love in this woman. She never had autonomy over her body, people. like no. Just the same as the, these women that he did surgery on they they never had a choice even if you asked them they never could say no to you
1: yeah it's a lot like um what we've seen in the me too movement if you Mm -hmm. follow that where it's sort of like uh the louis ck one is a good example where he said you know he said like well i asked them and you know none of the women really said no or you know they didn't maybe didn't say yes they maybe didn't say anything at all but you know, they were not, he was in a position of power over them. And so, you know, a lot of times it could be a fear of like, what happens if I say no to this, it could be worse than getting 13 surgeries from this man.
0: Yeah. And I think that's something that today and the past, like any conversation when it comes to the autonomy of women, to the autonomy of enslaved people, it's Y'all, we just need to have, like, that come-to-Jesus moment <laughs> that, yeah. this is, that this is actually how it was, and it's they, not...
1: They didn't consent. Consent wasn't there.
0: It's not a, the happy rainbow history that we no. keep trying to paint for ourselves.
1: All right, but in happier news, <laughs> um, pap smears, they've reduced the rates of cervical cancer...
0: I was about to say, I've never had a happy thought of, like, pap smear. Just
1: <laughs> Okay, but they're reducing yes, the rate of cervical that, cancer. That is a good thing. So, um, in the early 1900s, cervical cancer was the deadliest women's cancer in America. It killed more women each year than breast cancer or lung cancer. Wow.
0: Um,
1: so, the pap smear is a test to check for that. Um, it was invented by and named after a Greek-American doctor, whose name I am going to butcher right now, but I will try. Giorgio's Papon... Cullo? Uh, sorry, Georgios. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Dr. Papp. Uh, Dr. Paps. So uh, he started his research in 1923, and he actually um, found that uterine cancer could be diagnosed by a vaginal smear in 1928, but it wasn't really recognized as um, or done as a thing until 1943 when he published um, a paper with Herbert Frederick Trout, um, called the Diagnosis of Uterine Cancer by the Vaginal Smear. So they were very good at titling. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, that's to my the favorite point. title. Um, so the test did give a lot of false negatives, and it probably it still does, but it's still really useful. Um, according to some sources, the rate of cervical cancer dropped from 24 to 37 cases per 100,000 before 1933, so, uh, and then, but now in 2008, it was only 7.5 cases for 100,000.
0: Wow.
1: Science is truly amazing. Yeah. So, pap smears Amen. are good. They might not be comfortable, but no. they, are, they are good. Um, and then another sort of like history of cervical cancer that we've come from now, and this is We'll talk about later why you don't need as many pap smears as you maybe in the past have gotten. But in 1976, a doctor linked the human papillomavirus, or HPV, to cervical cancer. Um, and in 1995, they found that, doctors found that HPV correlates more to cervical cancer than smoking does to lung cancer. Um, and then in 2006, there was a vaccine for HPV called Gardasil that was created. And in 2014, there's now a new test for HPV. Um So, we've come a long way into detecting cervical cancer, um, but the big step was the pap smear. So, now that we know about why the pap smear was created, tell me what happens if I want to go to my yearly exam.
0: Now, uh, first thing you should do is find a gynecologist. The general belief is you should find a gynecologist... 13 to 15, sometime around when you get your first period, you don't necessi- you don't have to have a uh, pelvic exam at that point, and we'll talk a little bit more on that, but just finding a doctor because it's going to be a long journey to find a doctor if you've ever tried to find
1: one. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a doctor that more so than other doctors, you're going to have to need, you're going to need a very personal and open and comfortable relationship with mm-hmm. and so if you start when you're in those awkward adolescent years and continue and you get through that with your doctor you'll probably be okay once you get into your 20s and stuff
0: indeed yeah you thought the questions were terrible when you were a teenager wait until you're in your your 20s and you've got to answer them
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're if your gynecologist can get through this adolescent years where everything is embarrassing
0: Yeah. So first, uh, find a make a list like that's the the first bit of research. Make a list of gynecologists in your area. Check their education, how many years of experience they have. So you know where they went to school, what they studied. So what their area of expertise is. So you can see what. There's a variety of different levels. I guess "levels" is not the right word. It's not a you know video game where you level up.
1: I think it is. <laughs> That's been my experience personally. Um, I'm on level 36. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the age of 29, <laughs> level 36. Uh, but just like with any other doctor, gynecologists have their own areas of special uh, of specialty. Um, some gynecologists can help you if you've had abnormal Pap smears. Some of them are not trained in that area. But just check and see what the level of expert or the area of expertise for this gynecologist is. Once you have narrowed it down to a few candidates, continue your research, talk to some friends. The I want to say the reason that I went to Planned Parenthood was because, Jenny, you had gone to Planned Parenthood and mm-hmm. said, I had a really good experience here. You should go. Um, that's how I ended up yeah. with that doctor.
1: And I went to Planned Parenthood, actually, because I had been I had gone to. The place where my mom goes, and I had a bad experience with them, and I really wasn't sure where to go. I didn't know how to research this. I didn't know how to really do anything or what steps I should take. So I I went to Planned Parenthood, which sort of was like a one stop shop for me. It wasn't um, a very I don't, I don't know what word I'm trying to say here, but it was just a very open and welcoming environment for me. They did, I didn't feel judged, which was one of the problems. That mm-hmm. The last place I had been was I felt like I was being judged because I called them and asked a question. I, it was my first time on birth control, and the way that my body personally reacted to it was to not have a period, and that really freaked me out, and they weren't very um, accepting of answering that question for me. At mm-hmm. the first place of it too.
0: Yeah, like we, like I said, it is very hard to find a doctor. No matter what doctor you're looking for, if it's a PCP, if it's your, if it's a therapist, uh, and your gynecologist is no different. A um, couple of questions to ask yourself uh, when you're looking for a gynecologist, um, you know, make sure they take your insurance. What gender um, do you want to have doing uh, your pelvic exam, or you know, just being your your basic doctor? Uh, like I said, that I've only ever had one male gynecologist, um, and I, for me, it was awkward. But I've had conversations with people who are like, "Nope, love my male gynecologist; he's great."
1: I've only had women, but yeah. it's really just a personal preference.
0: Indeed, like I said, it's it's all up to to what you. One to what you were looking for um once you found you know your short list go talk to people kind of look for references on actual experiences and then finally make a make an appointment go visit these doctors kind of interview them essentially like a job interview that <laughs> like you're hiring them to be your doctor um and i think one thing that i wish i had known when i was younger was just because you've made an appointment doesn't mean you have to stick with them. Just because they have all your information doesn't mean that you've got to stay there and you're trapped in their system. Like if you don't like that doctor, just leave. It's,
1: it's fine. It's not the Hotel California. <laughs> um, so you said like a job interview. So when I'm questioning them, I should you know say like, what are your what's your biggest weakness? Yeah. Where do you see yourself in five years?
0: <laughs> Where do you see our relationship in five years? <laughs> what the hell's that going to go? Um. Yep. Pretty much. Pretty much, uh, but yeah, when you go in, uh, just kind of have a conversation with them, figure out what some of their beliefs are. Like I, Jenny and I are both particularly liberal women, um, and I don't think I could go to a more conservative doctor. Uh, I appreciate that my gynecologist doesn't keep pestering me and going oh you're getting so old when are you gonna have kids like every other person that I know that like, keeps poking me about when am I having children
1: yeah so it's, it's been a lost cause with me for a lot of people they know I'm not gonna have kids
0: yeah but yeah once you've once you've had a few uh had a few meetings with them kind of figure out which one you want to choose and like I said if You know, just like with any other candidate, if you have this meeting, you set up your go to your first exam and you're like, nope, you are not who I thought you were. You can always leave. You can always go find a different gynecologist and that is perfectly fine.
1: You don't need to hire them. You don't have to hire the first candidate (laughs) who comes to your office and has a resume straight out of college.
0: (laughs) My fiance and I actually have like debates back and forth on what uh, what level of expertise is better for a doctor. Uh, His personal belief and kind of what I believe too. um, Newer doctors, I've kind of enjoyed ones that have graduated more recently because
1: they're more on top of the research.
0: They've you know just more recently been out of school. They have the newest techniques and kind of. While they may not have as much experience as another doctor, sometimes it also just means that they're not as set in their ways. So just take take everything with a little grain of salt. Like I said, figure, go and interview people, kind of talk to them, figure out who you think will do the best job. And like I said, if you, we all make mistakes, if you've decided that this is not the God, I almost said vet Jesus.
1: <laughs> we're, we're not animals. <laughs> this is not Don't me. go to a veterinarian. <laughs> no. Even if you feel the most comfortable with your veterinarian, yeah. don't don't do that.
0: <laughs> don't that isn't that would definitely be one of those cold tables, like the cold metal table. Um <laughs> yeah if if you decide that this is not the one for you then you can just go go to the person the second person on your list and keep going I know it's hard um and I know that like I'm stressing on on this point but I again one of the things that I wish I had known when I was younger was you're not trapped with them you don't have to stick around just because you don't want because you feel like you've invested all this time in it it's not worth it
1: Alright, so when I find the doctor who is right for me, there's no Tinder service for this, right? I can't no, just.
0: Like, you can't just swipe
1: Alright, so I actually have to like go meet them in person and stuff.
0: There probably actually, we should look into them. There probably isn't, and not specifically Tinder, but there, <laughs> <laughs> there probably That's, is an app too. What was that
1: called? Like, Ginder? Ginder? <laughs> That's too close to Grinder. <laughs> Alright, anyway, so when I find the one, What happens when I go for my yearly exam? Your
0: yearly exam. uh, They're going to ask you the basic doctor questions, you know, or do the the basic checkups, um, weight, height, ask you what medications you're on um, from probably, oh, God, how old was I? Like the age of 12 and on, every time I've gone into a doctor's office, I've had to pee in a cup. Um,
1: Step on a scale.
0: Step on a scale, pee on a cup. (laughs) Could you possibly be pregnant? Uh, those Thanks kinds up. of questions. Uh, so with I'm not
1: sure. I did do a symptom search on WebMD, yep. and it did say that it was a possibility. Yeah, I'm a virgin, but you know I I have some wrist pain. Yeah, could be pregnant.
0: Could be pregnant. <laughs> I have cancer, or I'm pregnant. Either one of those is a possibility. So the do your your usual um, kind of thing, measure your blood pressure and all that. Uh, as I said, they're going to ask you some questions uh your medical history. Uh they ask you, do you take any drugs? Do you drink? Do you smoke? Uh and I know that these are embarrassing questions, but it is always important to be honest.
1: They're Sorry. not they're not judging you. They really just as with any doctor, they just need to know so that they have the correct information. They know what things they might need to screen for or look for.
0: Indeed, if you don't give them an accurate medical history, then they cannot treat you properly uh so they'll ask you like i said those kinds of questions um so with that make sure if especially if you're underage that you have someone with you that you can tr- that you trust um and if you are not comfortable having your parent in the room uh bring somebody else with you i know some doctors won't see can't or won't see people under 18 um as they're legally allowed to sign their own paperwork. That being said, you know, you can always ask your parent to step outside, which okay. could also be a more uncomfortable question um, or a more uncomfortable thing to talk to you, with your parent about, but...
1: Right, but you should, if you really do want to just talk to the doctor alone, you should be able to do that without a parent or a guardian present.
0: Indeed, you have that right. Um, so, answer answer all those questions. Uh, Then, depending on where you are, you know you don't have to have where you are in your life. Um, You don't have to have a.
1: Uh, what if I'm living in a van down by the river? What do they do then?
0: It depends on what symptoms you're having. <laughs> uh, if you are how long? Yeah, how long have you been? <laughs> yeah, how, how have you been? <laughs> is living in the van a
1: symptom <laughs> of whatever is going on? No, just your a, a bad plagiarism of an SNL joke. Oh. I'm
0: really up on pop culture.
1: Is <laughs> SNL pop culture again, am I? I don't know. It was like a Chris Farley joke from the 90s.
0: Nope, definitely not. Yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway. <laughs>
0: uh, you There's a difference between pap smear and a pelvic exam. Uh, a pelvic exam, they will give you, if you have some sort of uh, abdominal pain or an abnormal discharge, something of that nature. And... Vaginas are weird. They discharge. I can't tell sometimes what's abnormal and what is Uh, correct.
1: It's 2018, and nobody knows what's going on down there.
0: God bless. Uh, But if you have, you know, some abdominal pain, uh, they'll give you a a pelvic exam. The word escaped me for a moment. A
1: Uh, raspberry one. Yeah, they'll
0: give you a raspberry exam. The (laughs) pelvic exam... You are laying on your back. We were talking about this earlier. Uh, what what the position dors- was the that?
1: Dorsal position. Mm, the like dorsal a dolphin.
0: Good old dorsal position. Ah. Uh,
1: I don't know why that makes me think of a the dolphin. They, have, they dorsal have dorsal fins? fins. Yeah, I was
0: like, don't they have a dorsal fin? Ah. Uh, so after, if you have to have a pelvic exam, they will ask you to undress. Some doctors will ask you to undress completely. Um, like bra and all and yeah. put over a those sexy little hospital gowns sometimes if you're not
1: the paper Ooh, yeah i
0: have my new gynecologist has like the real ones you know they snazzy when they give you the real ones yeah i forgot about the paper ones Ah. Uh, <laughs> They give you a gown. You
1: don't need a whole body sheet, no. I'm surprised that they didn't have just, like, a sheet with a hole cut in it. Like, they had, like, wrapped around and stuff. Like, that must have been multiple sheets back in the day.
0: <laughs> gotta take some stuff. Like, those <laughs> those safety scissors to get through. <laughs> gotta, find, gotta find it all. So, you undress. You lay on the table. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the stirrups. You kind of mm-hmm. lay either with your feet in the stirrups or up by your butt. And they will insert usually two fingers, one or two fingers, kind of check and see um, if you feel any pain other than the pain of stretching, which is real uncomfortable and it's kind of... I don't, know if, I don't know if I was freaked out
1: during the my first exam as yeah, much as I... I don't think it was, for me, I don't think it was really painful. I think I was just uncomfortable with the whole situation.
0: It was very strange having something in an area that I'd never had before. Actually, <laughs> as awkward, as, like, terrible as it sounds, much akin <laughs> to me going to the dentist for the first time, because I did not go to the dentist until I was an adult. Uh, you should go to the dentist when you're a children, by the way. <laughs> um but it was strange having, you know, fingers in a place that it, I was not used to. Uh, they feel around, kind of see if they feel any abnormalities, um, if anything is swollen, because they have highly trained fingers. Like, I, <laughs> as it came out of my mouth, I knew it was going to be awkward. It has
1: not changed since 18 yeah. yeah, like, really.
0: They kind of feel around to see uh, if anything is swollen. Um, If you have pain as they move around, they'll push on your stomach Mm -hmm. uh, to see if it hurts when they press in certain areas, hitting specific organs to see if they're causing you any kind of pain. Um, They will check your vulva, kind of make sure that there's no warts, no cysts, no um, bumps that don't naturally occur. But on the, you know, weird thing about vaginas, they get bumps. They get yeah. all sorts
1: of... Basically, they're just feeling around in there to mm-hmm. see if there's anything abnormal or weird, um, responding to any concerns that you may have. So if you say, you know, like, I have unusually painful periods, that that mm-hmm. which is a reason to be truthful because that informs their exam. But basically, yeah, they're just sort of feeling around to make sure everything's where it should be and that there's nothing weird.
0: Yeah, that's a... Long, elongated version, more so than I would meant for it to be, of what a pelvic exam is. Um, they continue after your pelvic exam. You know, you kind of talk some more. Sometimes your doc, uh, gynecologist talks to you while they're giving you mm-hmm. a pelvic exam. I had one that was like really up in there. I'm like, I can't
1: hear yeah. you. Yeah, but it's it's not a a sexy thing. So no. it so again, like if you want, if you are comfortable with a male gynecologist, it's not a sexy thing. So it's not like they're you know, getting their kicks off mm. or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: To them, it's just purely medical.
0: Yeah. So if you've had to have a pelvic exam, which does not usually start until, unless you have some abnormal symptoms, like I said, discharge, uh, pain in your abdomen, um, painful periods, something of that nature, or if you become sexually active, they will do that. Uh, if you become sexually active, they will test you for STDs or um, STIs is there now,
1: mm-hmm. uh, chlamydia, gonorrhea,
0: all the HP, or HIV, all the good ones. Those can usually be, um, can be tested by peeing in a cup. Another reason to pee in a cup, not just to see if you're pregnant. Yeah. Uh, yeast infections, they'll check for all those. Uh, or they can also do a swab. To get a swab, they use... The Almighty Speculum. Uh, you again know you're at a fancy doctor when they warm it. Oh. Yeah.
1: That is fancy. Yeah. Basically, a speculum is like metal duck bills.
0: Yep. They're, they're
1: like hold open your vagina. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: it's yeah, duck bills are pretty good. Uh, good example of they it. They don't
1: have the belts anymore.
0: No. It, yeah, I've uh, never
1: experienced the belt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the speculum will open up your vaginal canal so they can see inside. Uh, do a more thorough examination. They can also do a swab, which is a very long Q-tip.
1: Um,
0: that one's uh, the Q-tip is just a swab. Okay. A pap smear uh, is with the terrifying plastic brush. Ooh. With um, have you seen them recently?
1: Not recently.
0: Yeah, like they forget what
1: they're advanced now yeah i don't even remember what it looked like before actually oh, but i don't it, think they ever showed it to me before <laughs> they did it uh but it's a, a terrifying
0: looking plastic uh yeah sorry we'll go back to pap smears in a second but yeah the, <laughs> to do a swab uh giant q-tip they do a quick swab you can kind of feel the pressure of it but it doesn't hurt Um, when they take the speculum out, speculums can also be plastic. I personally don't like the plastic ones because they make, uh, with the metal ones, you can kind of like gently screw it open. Um, and not that like the the plastic speculum hurts any more, or is any more uncomfortable or hurts more than the metal one, but the plastic ones, they make a terrifying click noise. Yeah. Inside your crotch. So We'll do that. Uh, have a conversation with your doctor when they figure out the findings of any of those tests. You ask any questions that you might have, concerns um, about uh, what's going on with your Basically, body.
1: yeah, anything.
0: Just the same as any other doctor visit. So, if,
1: so we know what a pap smear, like why it is, but how do they do that, and what happens if it comes back abnormal or weird?
0: Uh, pap smears, the... What is the, uh, the Ackerman now? Most doctors, I'll just go with that. Most doctors will say uh, age 21, go get your first pap mm-hmm. smear. Even if you were sexually active before that, yeah. uh, they recommended age 21 to get your yep. first pap smear.
1: The American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology.
0: Thank you. Uh, this is a much longer name than I could remember tonight. But
1: A-C-O-G in okay. the house. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. You're in the same. You're in the dorsal position with the speculum again. Uh, this time they're going to, uh, if they are doing a pap smear, uh, it is to check your cervix mm-hmm. for any sort of abnormalities. They have what looks like a paintbrush with a plastic tip on the end with some different like it looks like ah uh, the, the 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 I can't remember a what swinge? they're called. No, there's no syringe. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Um the and, uh, bristles, that's the word bristles. I'm looking for. The bristles like, have been essentially, the plastic bristles have been cut to different levels so that they can oh, okay. scrape along your cervix. Um, and again, it is not particularly, it was not painful for me. It was more uncomfortable, but I do know it is painful to some women um, so that they can get some cells off of your yeah. cervix. It's
1: sort of like those toothbrushes with different levels of bristles so you yeah. can get more off. Pretty much. Because if it was all the same length, then it might not scrape as Much stuff off.
0: Yep, pretty much. Uh, Then they will send that off for testing. If you have an abnormal pap smear, it is because uh, they have found cells that could be cancerous. Um, They will do a biopsy, which is called a colposcopy. I'm not really good at pronouncing that word. Colposcopy. Colposcopy. Well,
1: that's actually a a visual exam um, with a microscope. But basically, yeah, they'll send off. Um, uh, then they'll send it. Send off more samples to a pathologist.
0: Well, that yeah. If you if it's coming back abnormal, they do a uh, colposcopy. Kind of get a. And I had to. I've had to get one. Um, that one does hurt. They take a snip out of your cervix. Yeah. Um,
1: I'm making a really awful face.
0: She did. Uh, they take a snip out of your cervix. Um, kind of. The the doctor that I used had um, essentially the same kind of thing that they do. It uses it for a dermal, um, kind of a dermal piercing. They punch a hole out, um, take a little bit off of it. Yeah, it's really painful.
1: That sounds Um, like the worst.
0: They shove some what looks like coffee grounds up your crotch. It is not coffee grounds, but they... um,
1: are you so, sure that you want to go see, like, an actual gynecologist? Yeah.
0: This happened at more than one gynecologist, okay. including Plain Parenthood,
1: So
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, they shoved that out there so that it'll help stop the bleeding, um, and they will go on for further tests from there, and it'll tell you whether or not uh, it's cancerous or, uh, for the most part, if it should, you will just heal on your own. Um, if like you have an abnormal pap smear, it is usually um, gone within the next couple of years.
1: Okay. But
0: um, if not, then they will tell you. If it, it turns out to be cancerous, they will tell you where to go on from there.
1: Yep. Um, and so some other things that you might be wondering about. So um, mammograms. You don't typically need to get a mammogram unless you're over the age of 40. Um, other than that, you just get a manual. <laughs> Breast yeah. exam, there's yeah.
0: I totally forgot. I totally forgot to say that, like, that's one of the little things that you gotta do. Just yeah, they, a, they do. I like you. They do you have
1: to, like, put your arm above your yeah. head and they, like, feel around for bumps.
0: We got so into talking mm-hmm. about the exciting world of pap smears and um, cervical exams.
1: Yeah, and no so. Breast uh, exam uh, you, uh, other things to notice, sort of, like, or other questions you might have are, you know, um, do women still need a yearly exam after menopause? Yep. Well, they do. Um, So, cancer risks do increase with age, and as we've already discussed, the pap smears detect cancer. Um, however, with those, with like pap smears and now the HPV tests combined, older women typically only need them every five years. Um, and if you're over 65, you may not need them at all if your last three tests were negative. Mm -hmm. But again, um, and even if you're not going through menopause, and even if it's not, um, on your year to get a pap smear, because now the ACOG recommends getting um, pap smears every three years. Um, you should still go for your yearly exam because it's just a good time to talk about um, changes with your body. It's also important if you get a birth control pill re- prescription. That's where you get it renewed. Mm-hmm.
0: They will check your uh, birth control can sometimes cause higher blood pressure in some women. So they will check your blood pressure to make sure mm-hmm. that it is within a reasonable um uh, range for you to safely take birth control.
1: All right. Have we, is there anything else we need to cover before we get to our burning questions? I don't
0: think so. I think we talked about, you know, what what will happen at your exam, mm-hmm. some questions to ask.
1: All right. So our burning question. So we have talked about pap smears, what they are, how you do it. Um, So, as I said just a few seconds ago, the ACOG recommends in a 2014 study they published, they recommend that, you know, the yearly exam, pelvic exam pap smears um, in healthy or lowest women cause more harm than good. They said that the exam may cause distress. It often produces no new results per year and may even lead to unnecessary surgeries. And again, so their recommendation now is to get it every, have a pap smear or pelvic exam every three years if you are healthy or low risk. So this applies only to the low risk women. If you have anything abnormal or any concerns, you should definitely ask to get a pap smear. Um, it's always okay, even if it's your off year. If you just, you know, have some feeling or you really just think something's wrong, you should um, ask to get one. Um, any other burning questions that we had?
0: Uh no, it did just occur. I was just thinking on uh we talked about getting tested for STIs. Mm-hmm. Uh just a reminder if you are sexually active and you have a new partner, it is important to get a uh S D I test every six months uh for Some people would say every six months for a year. I say a couple of years because it can take two years to get Mm -hmm. uh, for symptoms to actually show for certain STIs.
1: And also some STIs in women, you don't have any symptoms, like physical symptoms that you know about. Can't say chlamydia. Chlamydia doesn't
0: show any sort of uh, external symptoms for women. Uh, but yeah, so if you if you were sexually active with a new partner um, or change partners, or you frequently have sex with multiple partners, uh, be sure to get tested. Be sure to have candid conversations with the people you are having sex with um, mm-hmm. about any diseases that you have or possible diseases. I think all of our dogs barking uh, outside of outside of this room is a sign that it's time to go. Yes,
1: yeah, so I I hope you found this informative. I hope you enjoyed our dogs barking.
0: Follow us on Facebook. Send us any questions to, what's our
1: email address, Jenny? whiskerbiscuitsgravy at gmail.com because somebody took Whisker Biscuits and gravy.
0: Which is rude. Rude. Just rude of them. And be sure to listen to us wherever you listen to your podcast as long as it's
1: on iTunes. Or Google Music. Still working on Spotify. One day Spotify. One day you'll.